Slow down, flip us over, and celebrate. The Turn Turtles are here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14. Adam, what's on the table? Episode 14! Meads, what's on episode your table? Episode 14! <laughs> Today, we work together to set up the table, because we're talking about co-op games. And we're going to talk about math trade stories. Meads played Ark Nova. What's that? You'll find out. And You'll Adam played out. one game. One game. One game. One, one game. One game. Share the load. And lots of little games. Load, load, load. Alright, Adam. What's the game that you played? I can't play it for you, but I can play with you. <laughs> Are you talking to me? Yeah. That is your name. That was your week. It's been pretty good. Um, I finally got to play Spirit Island with you and Daryl. Me too. Me too. Um, I enjoyed it immensely, actually. I also really liked it. Yeah. It was way more stressful than I expected. Um, <laughs> but also it was more... I'm not sure what, what I'm even looking for. It was just really fun. I didn't expect so much choice with the spirits. Did you did you save um, all your Dahans? Save all of them? No. We won because no, we, we became Jerry so scary. Jerry and Joyce and Joelle and Miranda. Uh, ha ha ha. <laughs> we did make that joke oh, the entire game for sure. Oh yeah, every yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> um we won because we became so scary. I'm not I I assume that's probably how most games end. I feel like that's probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah, you, you, all your spirits, you, you reach a fear level and you become so scary, you actually just win the game. Right. One of the mechanics in the game is as you play your cards and everybody does turns, you can gain more and more fear. And once you gain enough fear, you put all the fear back and you draw a card. And as you work through that fear deck, it the game becomes easier to win. And then if you go through the whole thing, you just outright win so just so people to... understand what you're saying the point of the game is you're a spirit you're a group of spirits governing an island and there are invaders coming that you're trying to shoot back so that you can save the indigenous people the dahans right i saw i saw someone explain it like Catan, but you're playing the island instead of the explorers so it's like <laughs> yeah. Catan in reverse which yeah, i think is pretty good actually and how many different spirits are there? I don't know. He had a it huge was a stack. Daryl well, has the expansions too. Right. We didn't play with the expansion, generally speaking, but I'm not sure if he had all the spirits put together in, in one he pile. He probably did. Yeah. Because I think it's just extra spirits. I, um, yeah, I very I much enjoyed that's it. That's true, but I'm not sure. Oh, I hope to play that one more. What did you uh, think and me and you art? have also been playing a whole lot of Root on mobile. Forget Spirit Island art. We're moving on. Oh, did you ask what art? Yeah. What did you think about the art? I really liked it. If if I have one complaint, I I didn't love um the plastic explorer pieces in buildings. Oh yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny that they made the 
the explorer parts all plastic and all the natural pieces are paper and wood. Right. I, I like I that. still didn't love how it didn't look all nice together on the board. That's the point because you want to destroy industry. But I don't like it. Like, I would rather it look all nice and like. I just, I want to make sure you understand that you not liking it is what they were going for. No, and I I totally get that. I just, I don't like that decision. (laughs) But again. Yeah, it didn't take anything away, really. But if there was an expansion that made all those pieces look nice and it was like. I don't know, all thematically, visually appealing together. I would probably prefer that. Um, but all the spirit art uh, was amazing. I thought it was very cool, too. I've heard yeah. dissenting opinions on the art. Some people didn't like it, but I really enjoyed it. I love but the you names. Mean people don't universally like all art all the same. Yeah, I know. It's weird. I really like the names of the different spirits. I forget what mine was, which seems like a, a an oversight. If I'm going to say that, I should find out. But they're all the things like Grasping Root or Chilling Wind or... Oh, my guy was River Surges in Sunlight, which is cool because yeah. it's supposed to be like the the mountaintop snow. And then when the, the sun hits it and melts, that's that's the spirit that I played. So that was really cool. Spirits. Anyway, Adam, you were saying before i rudely interrupted you uh not too much more me and you have been playing a lot of root on mobile which has been fun Generally getting hammered getting whooped by the ai oh, man. <laughs> i i won my first ai game out of like seven or eight. Oh yeah and the soundtrack well, on that app is lovely it is great i do really enjoy it yeah. it's a really it's a good, good app. soundtrack if i won I could... one game as the Woodland Alliance, I think. Yeah, I but, think they're slowly becoming one of my favorite factions. Yeah, they feel really broken on the app, too. I'm not sure if yeah. it's how the AI is doing their thing. I've been yeah. really struggling to try to figure out the Riverfolk one. It's yeah. That one Riverfolk? seems one of the most difficult. For sure. That's one of the most social factions in root with Riverfolk, you need to be talking to the people at the table and convincing them why they need to be buying your stuff and that's really hard on the app when all you can do is type in the chat and nobody reads it right or hope that the computer uh, decides to to do it yeah have they ever yeah i mean when i was playing them i don't think you ever bought anything i think it was only ever the ai that was giving me some stuff oh okay so in that way maybe you're a little more likely to get some what are they called funds yeah but it's still it it, it, the ai does it well but it's because it's a social part of that game it feels a little bit weird on the mobile app but Yeah. yeah i agree Mage, how was your weeks? Oh, dear. They were good. Um, we helped our friend Karen move in, and she loves dinosaurs. So we played Gods Love Dinosaurs. Um, this game is wonderful, except I don't love the title. But anywho, it's by <laughs> Casper Lapp and released by Pandasaurus. So basically in this game, you're building an ecosystem so that your dinosaurs can thrive. 
Um, so you have prey, predators, and dinosaurs. Um, and throughout the game, you're going to lay ter- or terrain tiles where these creatures live. Um, so your predators will eat your prey. And when they eat the prey, they uh, multiply into more predators so that your dinosaurs can eat them and lay eggs. And eggs are worth points. Um, that's a very <laughs> brief overview. It's a very fun game. It's very simple, but it hurts your brain a lot. Um, because it's just... Ugh. It's yeah, it's, it's good. It's easy to play, but it's yeah. hard to play well, I think. It's very hard to play well because you have to keep so many things balanced and other people can so basically how it works is when you take terrain tiles, um they're in columns and each column is associated with a different type of predator or prey. And so when that predator or prey's column empties, they activate and they have to so if it's a predator they have to eat a prey or they die and you remove them from the game um if the dinosaurs activate they have to eat a predator or a prey or they die and you remove them from the game so the whole thing is balancing this okay how many can i eat so i get points without completely destroying my ecosystem and never getting a point again but also can i activate the eagles so that matt's ecosystem is totally decimated (laughs) it's it's very fun and the little wooden figures on the board are just a delight. They are a delight. They are yeah. great. Trump and the art like is really pretty. Things. Like, yeah. Pandasaurus nails the art and just the aesthetic of the game so well every time, I think. Um, Agreed. I'm just looking at it now, and it's really, like, pastel Like, it looks like a little painting. Yeah. Have uh-huh. we played it with you yet? No, I've never I've heard of it before oh, now. It's real good. All right, we'll have to do that because it's it's very fun. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, so we also played some So Clover, which I think we talked about last week. Um, so yeah. just mention that game because it's really good and everyone should get it. Played Wingspan twice, which I think we've also talked about before. It's the game where you're collecting birds, um, putting them in ecosystems, having them lay eggs, um, and getting points based off of all that. That's very fun. But the big boy that Matt is waiting for me to talk about is Ark Nova. Can't can't wait to hear about this one. So Ark Nova is by Matthias Wig, W-I-G-G-E. He's German. Um, And the company is Führerland Spiel, which I think means Fatherland Games, if my German tells me anything, which it doesn't. Um, Okay, Mm -hmm. so in Ark Nova, you're building a zoo. And it's super, super good. Um, when I say building a zoo, what do you think of, Matt? What is, like, you don't know anything about this game. When I say building a zoo, what does that call to mind? Uh, zoo Loretto, which is another what? game where you build a zoo and it's very, it's old. And it's, it's, not is it kind of childish and campy? Like, that's uh, kind of okay. what I think of when I think of zoos. Like, just like... Oh, let's put an ostrich here. And oh, let's put a dinosaur here. Not a dinosaur. <laughs> Why did I say dinosaur? A lion. Um, anyways. I think the only so, one that I think about is is the dinosaur one that we played. Oh, yeah. Dinosaur Island. Yeah. Yeah, it's nothing like that. Um, <laughs> so basically, you each have your own individual zoo board, which um, you can play with the beginner maps. Or you can play with a set of maps where everyone's the same. We played with the set of maps, so we all had a different power on our map. 
So my map had an observation tower on it, and I got extra points for having animals near the observation tower. Um, so basically what you do is you are you're building your zoo to get attraction points. So people want to come to your zoo. They want to see your zoo. And getting attraction points gets you to move up on the point track around the outside perimeter of the main board that you all share. That's but how hot the zoo is. Exactly. The yeah. same time, you're trying to conserve. So you're trying to be eco-friendly. You're trying to be really nice to the animals. And so going the opposite way around the board is the conservation track. And the game ends when your appeal, when one person's appeal passes their <laughs> conservation, <laughs> which is really yeah. interesting. So you're trying to build this balanced zoo of everyone loves it, but also staying as far away from the marine land situation as possible. Um, which is just really fun so you're in the first bit of the game you're just gaining animals trying to make a great zoo but then you try to get conservation by releasing animals into the wild or funding breeding programs or things like that um the basic mechanics of the game are it works very similar to terraforming mars where each card has symbols in the top right corner so if i played um say some type of lizard it might have an Africa symbol in the top and it might have a reptile symbol in the top. Later on, I might draw a Komodo dragon, but to play the Komodo dragon, I already have to have a lizard symbol in my tableau. So because I played that lizard earlier, I can now buy this Komodo dragon. So it builds on itself like that and you're building this massive engine, engine of animals. There's so much here, I'm not going to be able to get into all of it. <laughs> um because it's just, it's crazy. There's a couple really cool mechanics that I did want to mention. Um, so to, there are five actions you can choose from on your turn. And it's similar to Scythe in the sense that your actions, you're not supposed to do them multiple times in a row. But what happens is you have five cards that represent your actions. And whether they're in slot one through five determines how powerful they are. Um, so if, a, if my play animals card is in slot five, I can play more than one animal on my turn. Whereas if it's in slot one, I can't play any animals. Um, and how that works is say my animals is in slot five and I play two animals at the end of my turn, I take that card, I put it in slot one and the other four action cards shift up one slot. Okay. So they're constantly rotating and you kind of have to think, okay, do I want to do this action for, even though it's a little less powerful, to get this other action up the board to get it more powerful? Or do I want to wait? It's it's a really interesting mechanic. Cool. I hope I'm explaining uh, it okay. I think I get um, it. Do they all start, like, did yours and Daryl's uh, action cards start in the same order? Or are they randomized? If I'm remembering correctly, I believe animal play animal starts in five and the other four are random. I think oh, okay. right. I'm not positive on that. Um, but then also through the game, you can get this special token that allows you to add to the power of your actions. So you could make, you could, even though the card is in one, you could add two of these tokens to make it a three power. Oh, cool. Um, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things in this game that could have been done a little bit better. There's one area of the game where they used a cursive font and it was really hard to read, I found. But it wasn't a huge thing. Were the M's um, and the N's upside down? 
Yes. I don't know what you're no. getting at. I don't know. If you Google a picture of the player board, that I think that's yeah. the cursive font you're talking about. Yeah, it the is. M's, it is. The M's and the N's look upside down. Yeah, it's but it's only there. Right. It's that's the only part of the game that it matters. It <laughs> uses it in other areas that are just fully <laughs> aesthetic. Um oh, then the only other thing was um in the central board there's it looks like file folders from different zoos around the world, different famous zoos. And you can once you have a high enough reputation, you can adopt animals from those zoos for your zoos. For your zoo. I'm saying zoo a lot. On those folders is an extra money cost, but for some reason they decided to make that the the cost. It's a different symbol than everywhere else in the game where money is referred to. So we went three quarters of the game forgetting that we had to pay that cost because it was a different symbol and we didn't realize, oh, which weird. is unfortunate. Oh. Say zoo but again. Zoo. To give you a grasp of this game, like just a fun part of this game, um, near the beginning of the game, I, I drew an emu card in my hand and I really wanted this emu. But to get this <laughs> emu was insane. So I had to get a level five enclosure, which is so it takes up five hexagons on your board. But also I had to have two Africa symbols and like a ridiculous amount of money. And I spent like the first quarter of the game trying to get this emu. And then I got <laughs> it and it was the best thing ever because once I played it, it gave me a free aviary to put on my board, which is super Ooh. cool. And then the next turn, it made the most logical sense to release my emu into the wild to get conservation points. And it was excessively oh, no. sad. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's so funny. Like, it's a really cool game. Um, and the one other thing I'll say to say about it, and then I'll shut up for a bit. Um, in the past, I've mocked Terraforming Mars and the Hobbit deck building game because they have actual pictures as their artwork. This game does have actual pictures as the artwork on the cards, but it actually works really well because it's animals. And the cards where there's people, they make it a stylized picture so it doesn't look creepy like in Terraforming Mars. It was, <laughs> it's actually well done. So this is the exception. Yeah, I was just looking at that. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, but I, I, I don't know about you, but this game um, brought up a lot of memories of the Earth conversation that we had a while ago yeah. and that one also had so. very realistic pictures which also kind of worked apart from it yeah. looking like a national geographic like educational game yeah but yeah yeah this game is in my opinion i would pick this over terraforming mars every time because it has that same card building idea or tableau building idea with symbols but the theme is way more relatable in my opinion hmm The first so I time I heard sell. of Ark Nova without knowing anything about the game, I thought the name implied like something futuristic, like so a sci-fi game. So did I, but it's not at all. It's like modern day zoo. Yeah. So I should sell all of my terraforming Mars stuff that I have and buy Ark Nova. Well, you should, might want to play it first. It did. I will say it took us an hour to learn and three hours to play. It is a hefty, <laughs> hefty game. Right. And I won, by the way, by quite a bit. So oh. there's that. Yeah, I, I had twenty. I had twenty. Daryl had ten, and Lee had negative seven. Negative seven. 
Yeah, so it's actually common. So how it works is I explained that once your appeal and your conservation points cross each other, the game ends. Right. Then you apply all kinds of game end bonuses that'll push them further apart. And your score <laughs> is how many spaces are in between. Oh, I see. So you can hypothetically get negatives if you didn't get them close enough. Um, what was your score? Sorry. 20, which is quite a lot. I That is one thing that bothers me in a really hefty game that takes you three hours to play to end with 20 points. It's like you should yeah. be getting like 362. So I agree with you most of the time. The thing about this game was my zoo was fully filled out, which apparently usually doesn't happen. And I could look at my tableau and see all the animals in my zoo. And so I still had a sense of accomplishment. because i could see how much i did whereas something like terraforming mars if you have a low score and you don't really know what you did at the end as well you just got a bunch of cards laying out and who knows what they did or what they do yeah whereas with this you much you felt much more because it was so the theme was so relatable i think you feel much more attached to what you've done okay it's it's really good i look forward to trying it for sure yeah for sure what about you man is that all you had then, Meege? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'll uh I'll try to keep mine short so that we can get to our main topic. I You saying I talk too long? <laughs> no, I wanted to hear everything I'd say So if we didn't talk about co op games for three more episodes, I'd be happy just listening about Arc Nova. <laughs> I went to the math trade that I talked about last time. And I ended up trading away three games and getting three games. So I should have written them down, but I forget. I forgot to write it down. So what happened? I traded. Talk about one. Yeah, talk about one of them. I'll I'll talk about each one of them as I name them right now. I traded away vast, vast crystal caverns and was supposed to get pillars of the earth, but like the day before the trade, the guy messaged me and said, "I can't get it to the trade." Uh, can I just buy it for you new? And I went, well, actually, I didn't really care that much about Pillars of the Earth. So if you just give me the cash for it, that's fine. I'd, I'd way rather have that. Oh, no, I, I traded away uh, Viral for that. So I bought Viral for 30 bucks used like Aww. half a year ago. And I then, like Viral. Well, you can go and find it. So then the guy was going to give me 50 bucks for it, for, for the trade instead of giving me pil- Pillars of the Earth. And then I I got there and he showed up like an hour and 15 minutes late for the drop off. But then there was a a scheduled half hour break and then you could pick your stuff up after that. And he came with his games like 15 minutes into the pickup time. So he's like, I'll just transfer you the money because I don't I don't have any cash on me. So he did all my details. He's like, is this right? I said, well, it says sixty five dollars there and we agreed on 50. He's like. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. And he hit send. <laughs> so oh dear, I, I traded away viral for sixty five dollars. Wow. So that was uh, I was pretty pleased about that. I wish I had that much money to burn. That sounds great. <laughs> I know, right? Then I I traded vast crystal caverns and got seasons, which uh, that was Greg's game. So I I got seasons for Greg because he liked it a lot. I thought you were... Oh, because you already have Seasons. Yeah, I already own Seasons. But it is a great game, and Greg never played Vast, and he really likes Seasons, so that worked out. And then I also... 
I forget what game I traded away, but I got uh, Race for the Galaxy, which I played with Hannah. And that's a, a card tableau builder, which is really fun. And it's not new or anything, but it is generally loved by everyone. So if you like cards and you like space, you'll like that game. It's designed by Thomas Lehman and published by Rio Grande. But the game that I wanted to talk about, I mean, other than we played Wingspan, Spirit Island, and that kind of thing. The game that I wanted to talk about, I bought just recently uh, from... Oh man, did I forget to... I forgot to put the publisher. It's Runnaman Games. Run R-U-N-N-A-M-A-N-G-A-M-E-S dot com. Because this guy... Uh, Chase Estep just did a Kickstarter a little while ago and then he published Bandata and has his own publishing company called Runman Games and I bought Bandata I met Chase on uh, the Board Game Barrage Discord and then I bought his game because I wanted to support him but also it looked really cool and if you look it up the game looks beautiful yeah it's it's a one to two player and it takes 10 to 20 minutes like super quick and i haven't played it two player yet but i'm very excited to try that because it seems like it could be a little bitey have you played and one player i have i've played one player a couple times and it is super chill like it it seems like it it's two sides of a coin that are very different from each other you mean one player and two player yes exactly um so what happens is you have, and I, I didn't play with all the stuff, I just played a very basic game, but you'll have three cards in front of you that have beautiful birds on them, and the point of the game is to collect certain amount of birds, because Bandada is like a flock of birds in Spanish, or a group of birds. So you'll have uh, three birds in front of you, and then also in front of you is a card that has the three food types. So the three things that, there, there are three rows of four spots for dice so there's bugs blueberries and nuts and then you'll roll oh, nuts oh nuts you'll roll 12 die dies and then you'll put them in their rows so there's four black four blue and four hey, yellow you dies. each each bird that you pick will have an action on the top and then the beautiful bird picture in the middle and then on the bottom is how you score it. So then you'll have a, a chance to look at the three birds that are on the table and look at your dice. And let's say this beautiful... Oh man, I don't even know how to say these bird names. The yellow-crested cockatoo, that one's the easiest. And black-collared lovebirds. The thing that you can do on the top is flip one of your yellow dice and flip one of your black dice. So that means you take pick it up and flip it right over. So if it was the four on the top, it's the three on the bottom, and you're going to flip that right to the three. And then you're going to get one point for any colored uh, six, let's say. So then you'll look at the, your, your dice, and for each one that's a six, you'll get a certain amount of points and just score that right away. And then at that that means that's the end of the round. And then you'll score all your birds again. So you'll get the sixes right away. Then you'll discard the three cart the three uh the two other birds, and then you'll play your you'll 
deal out another three birds. And then you'll have you'll pick one, you'll do the action on the top, and then find the scoring on the bottom. And that's where it becomes interesting because the scoring on the bottom of the cards you just flipped up might not work well with the scoring on the bottom of the card that you already have. So you always score the card that you mm. picked up when you pick it up, and then you'll score each of your birds at the end of the round again. And then you'll do that. Uh, there are four rounds. And then the game is over, and you'll have your point total. And then if you're a single player, you just try to beat that. But it is super chill, and it does take like 20 minutes or not even, depending on how you play. But then when you play with somebody else, I'm pretty sure it would be like you're both working with the same dice cards, but you're both picking different birds. So then when you're messing with someone else's score because you're flipping dice or re-rolling dice or changing the numbers. So I'm very interested to play this with Hannah. I think it would be a lot of fun and very quick. So it's a game like you can pull out while you're waiting in line to get your picture of Battlestar Galactica signed or something, you know? <laughs> I think it would be very fun. And it's a gorgeous little box with like a magnetic clasp. It's great. And the dice roll around in it when you don't have the cards in there. Do you have to yell Bendata at any point? Uh, I assume at the end you yell Bendata! I, I think more board games need to include non-optional yelling rules. <laughs> uh, that just means you're playing them at my house. When well, I get yeah, but more games. people need to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you you can get that at runamangames.com and Adam or Meads will put that in the show notes so that you can also buy it. Great. Okay, but you saying that means you have to put a note in the show notes for me to do that or I'll forget. Okay. That sounds great. I'll do that for you. Oh, thanks, bud. Yeah, you got what it. What a co-op game we have. <laughs> what a oh. cooperative podcast. Speaking of co-ops... What? That Me? was a segue? Huh? Nope. Now we're on email of the week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to ruin that perfectly good segue. I feel like I'm uh, not allowed reading it because it's very targeted at me. Okay, well, I'll read it. Unless you want to read it, Adam. Go for it. Dear Turn Turtles, your podcast is great. <laughs> Spot on, boys. Hi, ho. <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to your opinions on games that I've played and games I've been wanting to play. Your opinions and witticisms are exactly the type of edutainment I've been looking for in a podcast. That's Dear listener, good... Matt did air quotes there. I had to. There were quotes yeah. in the in the email. Uh, yeah, but listeners can't see that. Oh, I I also said it in a different way so that I feel like they could they could get there. Oh, I thought you did a good job. Thanks, man. The bad news is I was listening to episode 10 and heard Meech state, and I quote, Co-op games are terrible. <laughs> I almost fell I out of my chair in surprise and disbelief. Some of my favorite board game experiences have been had while playing cooperative games, such as Gloomhaven and Stardew Valley the board game. Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. The crew and Sleeping Gods. 
Perhaps you could dedicate an episode to discussing co-op games and how great they are to help Needs change his mind about this style of game. Thanks, and keep up the great work, Greg. Thanks for your email, Greg. That's not aggressive much. No. If I'm aggressive, it's aggressive-aggressive. I was talking about Greg. Oh, Greg. First he says I'm wrong, and then he says keep up the great work. Yeah, Greg is nicey meanie like that. Guy. <laughs> He's clearly being sarcastic with the keep up the great work. Oh. He's probably rated us one star. He's probably that one. That's right. <laughs> well, discussion over. See you next week. <laughs> well, I was on the fence about cooperative games. So why don't we define cooperative games as games where you can do nothing except help each other defeat the board game (laughs) because the tricky part is when you get into something like uh, Hidden Trader you're all cooperating except for that one person is it a co-op game still? That is exactly the example that I was going to bring up because I have the same. Is a team game a cooperative game? And I don't think so. Right. I don't think so either. We should also not argue about this the entire time. No, but (laughs) I also want to make it clear. I think the other thing is there are games like Pandemic, which I dislike because everyone knows everything about everyone. It's the same with Flashpoint Fire Rescue. All the information is open, which allows what is referred to as quarterbacking. One person can play the game while everyone else watches. And I hate that. That's different from something I would argue like Gloomhaven, where you can suggest things to people, but as the rules are written, you're not supposed to know what move everyone else is doing until they've flipped their action cards. And so when I hear co-op, I hear you referring to games where you all have the same stated goal, you have all the same information, and you're headed to one endpoint, like in Flashpoint, where your goal is to get all the people out of the burning down house. I feel like the quarterbacking comment is not a slight against the game, but against the group. No, it's a. I think it's against the game. Because if everyone wants to participate equally, then the fact that all the information is out there means there's no quarterbacking. I think the problem with a game like Pandemic and the quarterbacking issue is that it should be fairly obvious what the next move is, whether you're quarterbacking or not. So if I'm sitting across the table and Adam should move his medic to this spot and clear these cubes in Pandemic, and he's not doing that, do I say something? Do I That's say? That's what I mean. Like, yep, yeah, but do but you does say not that? say something, right? So or if do your I just group has it... made the decision that you're not going to do that? Like we we did this in Spirit Island a little bit, right? When we just played it, there was a couple of times where I was like, I don't know if I should do this, and you guys were like, I don't know, and then I just did <laughs> it, right? And it may right. have been good or it may have been bad, but that was a group way of handling the issue. Yeah, but it also, in Spirit, because I played Spirit Island, Spirit Island, 
is a weird one because it's kind of halfway in between because I found when I played it, the spirits are complex enough that it is almost impossible to. Yeah, to I tell like someone Darryl what to do. Definitely quarterback the two of us because we both played think... easy ones and he's, he knows what they're all doing. Yeah, I think in Spirit Island, Daryl could have quarterbacked that specific turn, but we don't know exactly how that would have worked itself out in the subsequent turns. So, so Adam, here's my issue with with it, is that you say, okay, that depends on the group and them just not saying anything. Whether they say something or not, it's pretty apparent to me right away that I've made a mistake and now the whole experience is ruined because I know I've made it worse for everyone else. I still think that's a group thing. I mean, you could apply that to even something like D&D, right? Like if you make the wrong decision or if someone wants to take control and tell everyone what to do, like there's lots of D&D YouTube videos about how GMs and the group should handle those kinds of people. But then the but fact I that, think that's that you, you do a poor turn, I mean, everyone's going to make poor turns in a board game. It's But I think D&D is different because that's role playing. You're playing a character. And the game is built so that you're more playing what your character says. Whereas in a game like Pandemic or Flashpoint Fire Rescue, that's not the point. The point is to win the game. Right. But when you're playing alone, you make a poor move. You're also, you know, you're not not having fun when you do poorly. Yeah, but I don't um, play unless alone. You're mad. That's but. <laughs> my my big thing is i think the complexity of spirit island allows it to allows you to talk more uh to each other about what you're going to do because in three turns you don't know exactly what's going to happen and in a game like pandemic sure you can flip over a certain city but you can kind of understand what's going to happen to the board state no matter what happens I, I think yeah. Pandemic is fine, and if you enjoy playing it, that's great. But after a certain amount of plays, you'll probably understand it, and then it won't be as fun anymore. Whereas a game like Spirit Island, I think, is complex enough that, and especially with all the different spirits and the different board configurations you can have, that the game is fun for longer. Right. So I, you know... To, to go on the uh, sort of other side here, I love co-op games. And it's mostly because I really enjoy working with other people and all sort of working together to solve, you know, you have the options in front of you and you get to collectively look at the state and sort of make decisions and work together as a team. I really like that kind of environment. Um, if I guess if there's... like I, I haven't actually played Pandemic if there's things in a game that make something like quarterbacking a problem or more or you know more likely to happen or not i mean i'm i'm i'm, I'm all for des- design decisions to make that less of a problem but um yeah i'm on the i guess i'm on the other side here i generally really like these kinds of games but i, that's, I think as a that's why I love Betrayal so much, even though it's technically a co-op game at the beginning. Because yes, it's a co-op, and yes, you all have the same goal, until it flips, and now it's all against one. I would argue that Betrayal is never a co-op game. It's because built to you, be at the beginning. You know and there what's, are, your goal, what's your goal at the beginning of the game? 
to explore the house. Your goal is to get your character to a certain position that when the betrayal happens, you're in a better position to win or fight or whatever it is. Right. But and to explore the house and some of the situations are not one person being the traitor. It's the house being the traitor. If I can throw out a term that I don't really know what it means is the beginning of betrayal is is or isn't a zero sum game. Like if you get the gun, I can't have the gun as well. Right. No, that well, you can't have it as well, but I can give it to you. Sure. But. I don't know why you would ever do that before the haunt happens and the betrayer is revealed. Like, yeah, you're all on the same team in the beginning and no one can hurt each other, but it is me against everybody the whole time until the betrayer happens and then you know who is on your team. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. Like, I'm not going to give you items even though I could until we know who, like, until I know that you're not the bad guy. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of a weird example. There's aspects of it where you're all, I suppose, working together, but you're also not completely together, obviously, right? Because mm-hmm. at any moment. And I, I would argue even at, like, the betrayer stage, it's a team game then. So I, I do have Imperial Assault down, which is a dungeon crawler, but somebody has to be the Empire. So it's it's a one to four against one. And I thought that's kind of co-op-y against that one player, but that one player is against you. So it's sort of a lopsided team game in that way as well. Yeah, it kind of falls under the same as the Betrayals. Right. I think one of my favorite things in co-op games is where everybody is is um has the same goal but you have very limited information and you might have a side goal that's also separate. So I So Gloomhaven. I'm obviously talking about Gloomhaven there. <laughs> I love the fact that each time like your goal is probably to kill all the monsters in the dungeon, grab something and get out. But every character before they go in the dungeon gets dealt a card or two. I think you get to pick one where within that dungeon, you have a certain goal. And if you achieve that, you, your character levels up a certain way, but like I might stop and try to collect a whole bunch of coins in a spot where Adam and me say, what on earth are you doing? We, if we don't kill this guy now, we might get killed ourselves. But I'm like, well, what about these coins? Because my secret objective is to get 10 coins or whatever. But also, right. your character has a, a power or a a goal that they're working for in the campaign to be able to retire as well. So there's yeah. like an overarching side goal, a side goal per the mission, but also the goal that you're working towards together. So you would never hurt each other but I might do something that you don't think is optimal because that is what my character is trying to do. Right. And and to me, if you don't have that, I just don't understand the point of a co-op game. So like, if you don't have what, what are, are, 
just to switch it slightly, what are your thoughts on escape room games? Because those are co-op games. I love playing them by myself or with one other person. You're talking the the card game or like a real yeah. escape room? No, like the the physical card game, board game. I I played the one that Matt had. It was fun, but not my favorite thing to do. See, I've played two of them, and I really disliked it. And it's it's the exact reason I'm talking about because someone ends up being either more intelligent in that realm or quicker thinking, and so some of the people at the table end up not doing enough, not doing that much to be fully engaged. And right. I disagree that that's a gr- a problem with the group. Well, it like. I mean, it would only work if you were it. all at the exact same intelligence level. Right, we're talking about the unlock series of games or the exit series of games. Yeah. Just for the listener to be able to uh, look it up if they want to. And but that's, that's the I, same problem I have with normal co-op games. That's why I said in, in with these exit games that I like playing by myself or with one other person. Like if Hannah and I are just sitting down and enjoying that together, then I I think we're both about the same level. But you're right. I played it once with four people around the table and one person just sat there doing nothing. And that, I don't know, I don't like that. And it's not that they they were dumb or whatever. They were very smart. But if you don't have the cards in front of you or... If somebody else always finds something before you do, then it's not going to be very fun for four people. Right. And that that is one thing that I put down here where I, I, I think it like just naturally this kind of game requires you do have a good group. If everyone's not invested and, you know, willing to put in the, the you know, just paying attention and being involved, then yeah, it, it's going to go south for everybody. It's kind of like yeah. playing a team game, like like Team Fortress 2 or something. Like You have to be in the moment the whole time. It's not like other games where you can take your turn and then sort of be half there. You really got to be there the entire time because everything that's going on is relevant to you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do, like, I do understand that point. The problem I've run into is even if someone is paying full attention and they're still not really involved because it's they're just whatever it's just not clicking that's a design problem of the game in my opinion if we're playing pandemic and i am fully engaged trying my hardest and it's just not working that's a design problem with the game i think i guess it depends what you mean by not working but i mean if, if you're As in, losing i mean i'm fine with that myself no not the losing but... just the 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 not not being able to keep up with everyone else's speed of figuring out what is best to do next. Mm. It's it's the same thing as if, if a kid is playing a game with all adults and not having a good time because they just can't keep up. So I know with my kids, like they that's not an effect on them. I, I could see that maybe someone will feel bad if they think they're not doing well enough, but... I mean, I I doubt in many cases the rest of the group is getting upset, and if they're not, then everyone should just have fun. It, 
but it's not necessarily about them getting upset. It's about that person feeling like they're not doing anything of value in the game. Like their decisions don't actually matter. Because the point of a game is that you're having fun and you're making decisions that affect the game state and have a good experience. Right. I I would think that's still true if it's ha- just happening a little bit slower, but... But so the two the two I put down are maybe immune to what you're describing because well I'll go over them. I put down one that maybe I, I bet neither of you have played called Red November. Nope. It's not rated very well on Board Game Geek. Uh it's a it's a submarine and you play these uh dwarves, I think they are. You're playing like a dwarvish submarine. And um it's, How dare it's you, Adam? not rated very well because it's not very balanced and you're it's kind of hard. Well, dwarves um, are very heavy. Of course it's not balanced. <laughs> <laughs> there's fires that spread throughout the ship. Um, you have beer, I think. To be like You drink beer to be brave and go in and take out fires and you fix things. <laughs> These are just bad dis- life decisions. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> despite it not being a very good game, I've always had a lot of fun because... It's it's just kind of your it's a, there's a lot of chance there's a lot of like you might just you know get dumped on and it's not going to go well for you, but it's still fun to see the fires pop up and it's still fun to try, and you know it's kind of like, um, like a uh a Helm's Deep or something before the help comes where you just think it's over, but you try to hang on and I I find that kind of experience still fun. Everyone's kind of like white knuckling, and you know trying to do their best, um. I played this game one, with you. Like, oh, have you? Okay. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't remember anything about it but the submarine. So. <laughs> right. So then the other one I put down is I've mentioned it before, but it's uh, Besieged by Come On Games. Um, Come on. And Come this on. one is very. It might be solved by being a little more complex, like you're talking about, Adam. But everyone plays a hero, and you have your own powers. And you're 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 taking actions to fight hordes of ogres and monsters that are coming uh, at you from all sides of the board, and you're in the middle in a little tower, and you're doing magic and pla- casting spells and doing all kinds of things to continue to try to survive until I think a timer, a messenger, I think has to leave and come back uh, before you can win the game. Um, Is it a but, physical timer? No. No, there's a, a little, I think if there's a messenger, like a little messenger uh, miniature, and some of your actions will affect whether or not he can move on his turn, and he okay. has to leave the board and come back, like he's getting, he's off to get help, and then he has to return, I think. Right. I haven't played it in quite a long time, but. And see, I would um, agree that that would undercut the, the quarterbacking issue, because now there's a time limit, and so you just got to make the right decision in the moment. Right, like so, you have plenty of time on your turn to look at your your options and um, do what you want to do. But uh, there's a, there's some role playing there, and you're all doing very different things. Um, so yeah, I would I think, think I to would... some degree all of these games someone could quarterback if they really wanted to. I guess right. there's little things in the game that are make going to make that more or less likely. But one of the big things to make it not like not likely is hidden information. 
information yeah. that I have that you're not allowed to have, and I can't mm -hmm. tell you. And in a game like Gloomhaven, you can say vaguely, I'm going to go quickly, and I'm going to run over here and maybe hurt some guys, but you're not allowed to say, my initiative is 52, and I'm going to move four spaces and deal three damage to each of these creatures. Right. Yeah. Or a game like yeah. Hanabi, where it's a card game, and it's uh, cooperative, and I believe it's trick-taking. I haven't played it in so long, but it is very popular. And the crazy part about that game is everybody has a hand. You're not allowed looking at your cards. All your cards face everybody else. So you can see everybody else's hand, but they can't see it themselves. And then you play that way. So if that kind of thing is interesting to you, it's also firework themed, which is neat. Hmm. The other card game that I would be remiss if I didn't mention was The Crew. The Crew is very popular. It's and they it's not that great. I know it's wonderful. Play. Oh, it's you like really it good. But it it it's completely hidden information. Okay. Like I have you are very limited. I'm very excited to play it, but it's, it's a three player minimum, so that's it's why I'm really, really it. good. But you're right, it has a ton of hidden information, which makes it yeah, which undercuts the issue. Mm-hmm. And that one is more about knowing how to trust and read the people you're playing with. So it's it's a slightly different experience, but it's very good. Okay, so then as you play more and more games, you get more and more comfortable with the people yeah. you play with, and you can kind of read yeah. each other. Nice, because the crew also came out with a follow-up, yeah. which is escaping me now. It's the crew... <sighs> it's ocean-themed instead of space-themed, I think. Anyways. The Crew Mission Deep Sea. The Crew 2 Mission Deep Sea. And yeah. that one is apparently a lot better too. So if you're you're looking you yeah, like the I've, crew or I, I think I've heard both are really good, but by Mission Deep Sea first. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. And it has a sort of campaign thing that you can go through that's a bit of a randomized assortment of missions. Right. That sounds right up my alley. I love that. But maybe to round off the co-op discussion, I would say I'm right on the fence. I really enjoy Gloomhaven. is my all-time favorite game. And I really don't like Pandemic. But there's definitely co-ops that I really enjoy and co-ops that I really don't. And I think complexity and hidden information is probably what tips me into the liking them category. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page. I dislike pure co-op. It has to have some sort of mechanic that that gives you ownership of your turns. That's what it is. You need ownership of your own turns. Whereas I find pure co-op games like Pandemic and Flashpoint kind of remove that. Right. So then that's why you didn't like Spirit Island so much, Adam, I suppose. But Matt, yeah. you really did like it. So how does that Because we're slightly... I think I'm slightly further on the scale than Matt is. I think so too. I, okay. I think maybe, you know what? I probably enjoyed Pandemic the first time I played it as well. But then as you play it a few times, it gets a little stale. But with Spirit Island, the, the thing that probably will keep me coming back to it is the same thing that I love about Root on the surface is exploring the different factions, exploring the different spirits. 
and actually the same thing with Cosmic Encounter is every time you play you're gonna play something different so I'm probably not gonna play the River Sunlight Snakes again I'll probably play something else and learn how that interacts with the Dahan and the, the Explorers but also with the people I'm playing with and their powers as well like I will play Spirit Island again. It's not like it's okay. It's a fine game. I've just it's not my fave. I'll allow it. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that Don't ask me, Greg. <laughs> at him. At all of us. <laughs> at the turn at Turn Turtles BG on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And you can email us like Greg did. Tell Greg he's wrong. Tell Greg he's right. We'll read it on the podcast. He listens. But only if you say he's wrong. He listens every other week on Thursdays to our new episodes. And you can email us at theturnturtles at gmail.com. Thank you cooperatively listening to us. No quarterbacking. Give us five stars. There's a quarterback you can take to the bank. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Goodbye. Bye. The Turn Turtles were here. That's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.